Hello and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries, and I'm glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow this podcast and receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are in the book of Luke, and we are unpacking chapter 3. Now, so far, we have been introduced to John the Baptist and his ministry, and John is the forerunner or was the forerunner for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We got a glimpse into Jesus' boyhood, and now we are going to get a glimpse in the baptism of Jesus and also his family tree, if you will. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 3, begin with verse 21, and let's get started. Now verse 21 When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Now I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to go back and visit about verses 21 to 22. As John slips from our attention, the Lord Jesus moves out into a position of prominence. Luke opens Jesus' public ministry at about the age of 30 by being baptized at the Jordan River. Now, many see this event, his call to his mission, and his baptism has become as the climax of the baptism of all the people. As in the birth narratives, there is at Jesus' baptism a supernatural witness. Now, there are several points of interest in this account of Jesus' baptism. The first one is that we see all three persons of the Trinity here. We have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the Father. The second point of interest is that Luke alone records the fact that Jesus prayed at his baptism. And this is keeping with Luke's aim to present Christ as the Son of Man, ever dependent on God the Father. Now, Jesus was baptized not because he was a sinner in need of repentance, but as a way of identifying himself with those he came to save. And this is the first of several important events in Luke that took place when Jesus prayed. Luke's description of the opening of the heavens makes clear that Jesus had a true vision of deity. The prayer life of Jesus is a dominant theme in this gospel. Jesus prayed here at the outset of his public ministry. Jesus prayed when he was becoming well-known and the crowds were following him. Jesus spent a whole night in prayer before choosing his 12 disciples. Jesus prayed prior to the incident at Caesarea Caesarea Philippi, which the high watermark of his teaching ministry. He prayed prior on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Jesus prayed in the presence of his disciples, and this called forth a discourse on prayer. Jesus even prayed for the backsliding Peter, and Jesus also prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. So we have in the Gospel of Luke a huge array of Jesus praying, emphasizing how important prayer is. Thirdly and lastly, the baptism of Jesus is one of the three times when God spoke from heaven in connection with the ministry of his own dear son. For 30 years, the eye of God had examined that flawless life of Jesus in Nazareth. And now here's his verdict. I am well pleased, God says. The other two times when the Father publicly spoke from heaven were one when Peter suggested building three tabernacles on the Mount of Transfiguration, and when the Greeks came to Philip desiring to see Jesus that we read about in the book of John, chapter 12. Now, God has appeared in the Old Testament times through various Theophanies. A Theophanies is a to define it, is a visible manifestation to the humankind of God. Now, the Spirit appears in bodily form as a dove. Now, Luke doesn't say that anyone other than Jesus was aware of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps others present, maybe they only saw a dove without realizing its true significance. But this was followed by a voice designating Jesus as the unique Son of God. The words, like those heard at the Transfiguration, blend two Old Testament Christological passages. The concept of divine sonship in Jewish thought was not only applicable to angels and to the nation of Israel and her kings, but it also it was coming into use as a de designation for the coming Messiah. Now, the words love and well-pleased, they convey the idea of choice and a spatial relationship. Jesus has now received his commission by his Father. Now, looking back into our Bibles, verses 23 through 38, I just want to read the first verse 23, which is, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. And I'm going to stop there. You can go ahead and read all those names, but I don't want to say here and just reverberate every one of these single names because it just gets kind of monotonous. But go ahead and read through those names because this is the genealogy of Jesus. But I do want to talk about them. So beginning with verse 23, I just want to throw that out, out here as food for thought. The age of Jesus is given in approximate time. Jesus was about 30 years of age. He could have been very well exactly 30 years of age. He could maybe have been 31, 32. Um, that's not what is important. We do know that he was about 30 years of age before taking up the public ministry. But Luke pauses during this to give Jesus genealogy. And both Matthew and Luke 
recognized the importance of establishing a genealogy for Jesus in accordance with the care given such matter in ancient Israel. And I'm going to mention Matthew and Luke because we have Jesus' genealogies in both of those Gospels. Now keep in mind, it was important that a Jew could trace his genealogy back to the beginning. In their handling of Jesus' genealogy, Matthew and Luke differ in several ways. For example, Matthew begins his gospel with the genealogy, thereby establishing an immediate connection with the Old Testament and with Israel. But Luke waits till the significant part of the ministry of John the Baptist is completed, and Jesus is standing alone as the designated Son of God. Another difference that we see is that Matthew begins with Abraham, stressing Jesus' Jewish ancestry. Jesus was a Jew. Now Luke, in reverse order, he goes back to Adam, probably with the intention of stressing the identification of Jesus with the entire human race. Another difference was that Matthew groups his names symmetrically, but Luke, he just simply lists them. Both trace the lineage back through the ancestral lines that diverge for a number of generations from each other, though both meet at the generation of David. Another difference is that Matthew includes the names of several women. This is a feature one might have expected in Luke because of his understanding and his respect for women. <clears throat> Excuse me. The significance of the genealogy in Luke probably lies in the emphasis on Jesus as a member of the human race. He implicitly contrasts the obedient second Adam, a second Adam, the the true son of God with a disobedient first Adam. Now the differences outlined as well as some problems of detail are perhaps best explained at least in part by the assumption that the legal line of Jesus is traced in Matthew. The actual line of descent is in Luke. Now keep in mind the widow of a childish a childless, childless man could marry his brother so that a child of the second marriage could legally be considered as the son of the deceased man in order to perpetrate his name. Now, in a genealogy, the child could be listed under his natural or he could be listed under his legal father. A Joseph is listed as the son of Heli in Luke but as the son of Jacob in Matthew. Now, on the Leverite, Leviticus side, if you will, of marriage theory, Heli and Jacob may have been half-brothers with the same mother but fathers of different names. Now, perhaps Heli and Jacob married his widow, or alternately it is possible that maybe Jacob died without leaving any children of his own, and thus his nephew, a son of his brother, Heli, uh, became Joseph's heir. It's possible. If Jesus is truly human, then he must be descended from Adam. And this genealogy demonstrates that he was. It's widely believed that this gives the genealogy of Jesus through the line of Mary. Now take note 
in verse 23. That's another reason I wanted to make sure I read that verse. It doesn't say that Jesus was the son of Joseph. It says, was supposed the son of Joseph. I think that is key there. If Jesus is truly human, then he must be descended from Adam. And this genealogy demonstrates that he was. It's Scholars have widely believed that this is the Lord's genealogy through Mary for the following reasons. And the first reason I'll give is the most obvious is that the Joseph's family line is traced in Matthew's gospel. The second one, in the early chapters of Luke's gospel, Mary is more prominent than Joseph, whereas it is in the reverse in the book of Matthew. Thirdly, women's names were not commonly used among the Jews as genealogical links. And this would account for the omission of Mary's name. Uh, In Matthew, it distinctly states that Jacob begot Joseph. But here in Luke, it does not say that Heli begot Joseph. It just says Joseph was the son of Heli. Now, this could mean that son, the word son, may have just been used in a shorter version of son-in-law. Now, in the original language, the definite article in the genitive form of the, we keep seeing that when you read those verses uh, from 23 on to 38, of the appears before every name in the genealogy except for one. And that is the name of Joseph. Now, this singular exception strongly suggests that Joseph was included only because of his marriage to Mary. Now, although it is not necessary to examine the genealogy in detail, it is helpful to not, it is helpful, but um, we want to keep in mind several points. And the first one is this. This list shows that Mary was descended from David through his son, Nathan. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus inherited the legal right to the throne of David through Solomon. As legal son of Joseph, the Lord fulfilled that part of God's covenant with David, which promised him that his throne would continue forever. But Jesus could not have been the real son of Joseph without coming under God's curse on Jaconia, which decreed that no descendant of the wicked king would prosper. And we read about that in Jeremiah chapter 22. So as the real son of Mary, Jesus Jesus fulfilled that part of the covenant of God with David, which promised him that his seed would sit upon his throne forever. And by being... Excuse me, descended from David through Nathan. Now he did not come under the curse which was pronounced on Jaconia. Adam is described as the Son of God, and this simply means that he was created by God. And it seems obvious that the Masonic line ended with Jesus. No one else can ever present a valid legal claim to the throne of God, okay? Jesus fulfilled all of that. So that gets us through Jesus' genealogy, gets us through chapter 3, and next time we will get a fresh start on chapter 4 
when we start to begin learning about the temptation of Jesus. This narrative will contain important blends of theological themes. We will have the divine sonship and messiahship of Jesus. We'll have the warfare between Christ and Satan. We'll have some Old Testament theology, and we'll have principles of obedience to the divine word of God. So be sure to come back for that for the next time. Until next time, God bless you all, and keep living Christian strong.